0: and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. All righty, for now, enjoy the show. All righty, guys. Well, good morning, everybody, or good evening, good afternoon, wherever you guys may be. Um, it's, it's an absolute uh, amazing to have you all again. Uh, to be honest, I really missed you guys. We didn't do this last week, bank holiday, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we really had a, I think me, me and Mark sort of were sitting there kind of twiddling our thumbs last last Friday, um, wondering what to do with ourselves. So it's great to be back. And look, honestly, um, this week we have an awesome guest. Um, we've got Connie Brahms who is the current chief digital and marketing officer of Unilever. Um, I really couldn't think of a, of a cooler job, but perhaps a, um, a more important job at this moment in time with the way both the world is moving, but of course Unilever transforming in that, in that sense. So it's absolutely brilliant to have uh, a little bit of Connie's time uh, for, her, for her to share with us her journey this morning. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background about Connie, Connie is what you would potentially call, um, I wouldn't say a Unilever lifer, but 31 years is a pretty long time. Maybe Connie could tell us if that's a lifer. Um, But she actually is charged with the transformation of over 400 uh, Unilever brands in the portfolio, uh, focusing very much at this moment in time around digital transformation um, across the entire organization and across the entire globe. Um, Connie is no stranger to global business. Um, She's literally worked in most corners of the world, um, um, continents from Asia to Africa and Europe um, as well. So love to get a bit of context and perspective from from you Connie about how you made that travel um, around there. Um, Connie is an absolute driving force um, at Unilever. Um, She is, um, very much sort of akin to the, the purpose-driven agenda that they're currently driving. Uh, thinking about the role of uh, things like e-commerce um, and even around um, agency structures and in-housing uh, are some of the things that are up front of of Connie's mind. Um, but beyond this, look, um, Connie's had a fantastic career journey um, to date um, and only getting stronger clearly. So it's with absolute pleasure that we welcome Connie this morning to hear more about her journey um, and how she was able to get to the top echelons of Unilever. Welcome, Connie. Hello. Hi, Richie. Hi, Mark. And hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure. I'm going to hand over to Mark um, to, to kick us off with the first question.
1: Thanks, Richie. And welcome, Connie. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Um, for me personally, two reasons. One is Unilever as a company I have a lot of admiration for. And Paul Polman was one of our very first guests on the show. And we've had Keith Weed on as well. And I would say Unilever people tend to be very interesting and intelligent. So I know we'll have a good session. The second thing is we actually have very similar jobs. But I think in our company, we have about five brands, not 400. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to learn a thing or two as well. So that's on the on the QT. So uh, anyway, just to get us started, let's let's just hear about how 2021 has has been for you in these very curious times.
2: Oh, thanks for asking, Mark. And um, uh, as I said, excited to be here. Um, yeah, how has 2021 been? Uh, it's been long, hasn't it? Uh, <coughs> being in COVID and. Um, I think um, when I started this new role as Chief Digital Marketing Officer, I was planning to move to London. And that's where I wanted to be, really. But uh, unfortunately, when my plans were to, to move in March, COVID happened. And ever since then, I've been in the Netherlands. So uh, now I'm working from the Netherlands. It has its bright sides as well, let's say. My uh, two daughters are studying in, uh, in the Netherlands. So I get to see them a bit more often. My parents have been a bit anxious and nervous throughout this time. So I'm close to them. Um, so in a sense, it's all good. But you, of course, start really missing, first of all, your team and being physically together. Uh, it is my first role in the executive team of Unilever. I had a chance for two months to see them physically. And of course, I had 30 years to get to know most of them. So uh, they are not new to me, but my team is new. And I also really miss the travel and uh, being being around teams where everything is happening in the markets. So it's been good, I would say. Uh, And I shouldn't complain um, if I compare it to um, other parts of the world. Uh, The Netherlands is a safe place to be, and uh, I have my loved ones around me. So it's okay, everything. But I'm really looking forward to hopefully, let's pray, after summer, where at least this part of the world uh, will be uh, looking a little bit better. And then uh, the rest of the world hopefully will catch up soon.
0: Yeah, Connie, I think I think all of us are sort of sitting with that hope, fingers crossed, um, at the moment. But uh, Connie, I want to pick up on something. So you, you clearly said, you know, um, into the executive team um, for, for one or two years at the moment. Uh, and prior to that, a what has clearly been a phenomenal career of, of 31 years at Unilever. So tell us a little bit about that, and uh, maybe some of the highlights um, that, that you went through and, and perhaps some of the, the key lessons that you take away as to how you made it to that executive team um, at, at the moment in time.
2: Oh uh, well, how long have we got? Yeah, five hours. Here we go. Okay, let me let me focus on a couple of highs and lows. So uh, indeed, I studied healthcare administration. Actually, so uh, was I prepared for this this role? Certainly not. Uh, but then I decided, you know what, maybe the prof- for-profit world has something interesting as well. So I did an MBA and then started at Unilever in the Netherlands that's known to be a, a marketing powerhouse. So I thought, well, oh, marketing should be something that I like. And then one day when I'm wise, wise and gray, I'll probably go back to the healthcare sector, but not now. Well, who knows what's go- what life uh, has uh, has for me coming after this, but um, for now, it's been 30 years with the same company. And I especially uh, know in Asia, people looked at me as if I was an alien. Did never ever somebody want you? They were asking and I said, oh, so you sort of, I sort of like this company. So that's why I stayed around. And I think it's just by chance because to be very honest, yes, I knew it was a very professional company. I knew a couple of people, but not that many, Uh, but it turned out that actually over time, my values are very much aligned to the values of Unilever. And that makes that you really want to put the extra effort into it. So that has helped a lot. And because, as you said, we have 400 plus brands. So there's every time a new adventure. Uh, I've traveled around the world, which uh, is a plus for me. So I had the privilege of working in Spain and then in Singapore, being responsible for Asia, Africa, and the Middle East countries that I hadn't even visited as a, as a tourist uh, all of a sudden I was managing so it's been a huge adventure and lots of learning opportunities uh, and lots of things have gone wrong at the same time uh, but um, uh, it brought me to where I'm currently at and to be honest I never had this really as an as an ambition or set myself out to do this because I'm also very much a person who wants to enjoy life and, uh, and parts of enjoying is also uh, learning new things adventures but um, uh, and here I am. So after all these travels, um, it is um, it's it's actually really good because um, I think the enrichment that uh, living abroad brings of getting to know who you yourself are and switching a couple of your paradigms, I think is uh, very good to now be um, well be able to do a global role like i currently have and i wouldn't even call it out to be uh, i'm able i'm one one year plus in in the job so uh, let's see what impact i can make but these kind of jobs just take a little bit longer to uh, to really have fundamental impact but there's a lot a lot happening now and it really helps that i've seen the world from different angles
1: <coughs> so connie i am intrigued 30 years it's a long time Yes, I, I've worked for two organisations for nine years, including my current role. Um, and I look at that, and I'm in, I'm impressed. So I'm I'm just intrigued to know what what kept you there, and maybe if you had some wobbles. But you, you did talk about values as well. So you said the, the alignment of values. Maybe that was important. And if so, what, what were the those values that kept you in?
2: Well, um, I th- well basically Unilever's a big company, yeah. So um, um so Every corner you go to, there's, of course, different challenges coming at you. And I've done marketing roles, I've done sales roles, general management roles. I've been in communication for a bit of time. So I think the changes make that um, every time there's something new to develop. Whilst on the other hand, the beauty of staying in one company is that um, you know the values that uh, are across uh, the whole world. So what I typically like is I remember my the beginning time in Unilever and I was sent to the south of the Netherlands, which wasn't particularly the best place to start in Unilever. So finally, you got through, you became a trainee after all these selection rounds. And then, oh, we've got a really nice marketing spot for you in the south of the Netherlands. It wasn't at Vandenberg and Jurgens, which was the prestigious place to be. But I started at the meat group, uh, it says a lot. And I thought, oh, now here, here we go, being nervous as I could be in a place where I didn't know if I was really, uh, really going to like it. But Actually, what you find is immediately people that you can level with, uh, that, um, that you think are very professional. But I was wondering, who are all these people at the headquarters? And they're doing something about the Marine Stewardship Council or Sustainable Agriculture. And I got to know that actually already at that moment in time, actually, uh, wanting to do good for the world was an important value within Unilever. And I think you, well, you've had Paul Pullman, so I'm sure you will have talked a lot about the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan. But I think with the beauty that Paul brought is, he, he made it very external. But whilst whilst you were in it, you were already noticing that actually we're quite a caring company. Yes, we are. We want to win as well. So absolutely, performance culture is important. Um, but um, but it is also a caring company. A caring company towards people but also to planet and society so and I think that kept me going also you are thrown in so yeah I came from Spain was the marketing director in Spain there was already a huge challenge I can talk a lot about that uh, moving from the Netherlands to Spain and just thinking oh I'll just move from one MT mar- management team to another management team but Cultures does a lot or the place where, um, where a company is located and then all of a sudden I became a general manager of Asia Africa and the Middle East. Well, that requires a lot of swimming. So uh, and uh, getting to know different parts of different parts of Unilever because it was also food service, which was a part I've never worked and lived in. So, on the whole, uh, why am I still 30 years in with Unilever? I think the threat of professionalism, the right values, wanting to do good, but also the possibilities to learn, to develop, to give you a chance to develop and work with really nice
0: people, I must say.
2: So, I think that kept me going.
0: That's that's really great to hear, Connie. Um, and we've had a we've had a comment in from Katja saying that the south of the Netherlands is a pretty desirable place to, to work now. <laughs> things, things are Katja,
2: you're right, but uh, you know, at that moment in time, it was like these books were coming out when all the people who made it, who were successful, never started in the south, etc. But you know what? It turned out to be four fabulous years. So uh, in that sense, and it's it's good. It creates a sort of a uh, a group atmosphere if uh, all of us coming from uh, from the northern and the western part of the Netherlands working in the south uh, was actually creating Friends for Life, I must say.
0: I'm sure, sure that would be the case. Um, I want to ask a question from Matt. Matt Matt's uh, an awesome uh, performance manager at, uh, marketing manager at TSP. Um, and he asks, uh, what are the most important skills you feel that have led to your success?
2: Oof, skills. Um... Well, I would say um, maybe the most important skill, uh, if you call it a skill, is um, that I'm um, I'm quite able to uh, absorb and then change. Uh, so uh, I think you call it plasticity of learning or something like that in uh, in English. So. It It is something in me that, um, uh, as I just said, I was marketing director in Spain, became general manager for Asia, Africa and the Middle East. Now, of course, it makes me uncertain. And I think, oh, am I really the one who can do this? And I need to learn so much. And there must be people who are better at it. And I must say the first year in a job is never the year that I like the best because I doubt myself a lot and I think oh am I really the one uh, who could do who could change matters for the for the best but then again after a bit of time I think the uh, the fact that I'm have an ability to learn to understand to listen well and to then make choices and choices on the things that are really going to have an impact for the job that I'm doing or the geography that I'm responsible for so I think that's um, probably what I I um, normally I, it's a deliberate choice to work for me as well so uh, hopefully like uh, everybody on the call so and then I also think yeah I spent so many hours working I better enjoy it isn't it so I also like to have a bit of fun along the day to energize other people to, uh, to take a look at uh, what is good about matters what are happening even though I need to uh, tackle a lot of challenges as well so and from a real skill perspective, uh, probably it is uh, obviously the marketing skills that I acquired throughout my career. So that made me uh, successful. But I wouldn't say that the digital skills in my first job are now really helping me because that was all writing papers, bringing them to a room where there were people typing it out. And then tipex was my bi- biggest friend in uh, trying to. Uh, so in a sense, these things you learn along the way. But then it is a, is a Ability to learn new things, I would say.
0: Um, can I? That sounds great. I'm just can I just do one follow-up question around skills, just for a second, because I know I've had a, a number of conversations with, with sort of younger marketers, um, and I know a couple of them will be watching right now. Um, and one of the things that they, I guess, constant dilemma of is, you know, they have ambitions uh, to to kind of get similar job titles to, to both you and Mark. Um and one of the things that they always struggle with is is do they kind of go down a very specific specialized area of marketing, or on the flip side, do they try and kind of go more generalist and kind of get an array of different skills, maybe perhaps perhaps both agency client side. So I would just love to get your thoughts um and perhaps a bit of guidance from from a younger person's perspective about what are the key things and skills that you think they, they would need for to hold them in good stead for the future.
2: Yeah, I think I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be uh, an, uh, a good chief digital marketing officer if I wouldn't say, for now, uh, get your act together in the digital space, because this is the future. So uh, I would certainly, but I look at the career very much as a collection of uh, experiences. Um, so make sure you have, especially in the beginning of your career, quite a rich variation of experiences, not so much to make you successful in the end, but maybe to make you choose what you really enjoy Um, and uh, where you happen to be good at. uh, I think it's best if these two things come together, but it's very difficult coming from university to know exactly what is it that I'm really good at, I'm going to enjoy for a long period of time. So, and I firmly believe that throughout your career, you need to learn. Um, and uh, and hopefully you like learning because that I think will set you up for success. But um, especially in the beginning, try out lots of different things. And you can do that in one company as well. And I think that's why I personally like the traineeships, because at least you get three years, every half year, another part of, um, of something you do. We even do talent swaps with agencies, etc. So um what i what i would uh, think of is in the end if you if you um, have the luck to be choosing a career there's always a couple of criteria that come up whenever you choose a ne- nice job but let's make sure that happiness is one of them so and you need to then define what makes me happy and uh, over time i have sort of come to a list of things that I like. Now, there's never any job that fulfills all of the boxes. So give up on that. There's always 20% in your job that you think, oh, is it still part of it? Here we go again. So, um, um, and... uh, but for 80%, it probably need to tick the boxes of uh, and then hopefully, uh, the learning part of it is is part of it, but it could be a cultural immersion, it could be the digital side of marketing, or am I going to learn the creative side of marketing a lot more. So I would say there's also, don't be too harsh on yourself. There's 20,000 ways of uh, having a really happy and fulfilling life. So Try out a couple of things and then you'll see I've done jobs that I, in with hindsight, probably didn't like too much for different circumstances, but I've learned what I didn't like. And that is also very helpful. Or you come across bosses or leaders that you need to work with and you think, well, you know what, it's probably not my style. But what you learn from it is uh, there's always good things in leaders. So um, pick out these things, but also things you never would want to incorporate in your own uh, spectrum of behaviors. So. I would say, be a bit relaxed about it. There isn't one way to get there. I remember when I went to Spain, people were saying, why do you become the marketing director? You could become the general manager. And I was like, oh, oh, hold on a minute. Uh, I just want to, this is the first time I'm going to do a proper job in another country that I don't know the culture of. I don't even speak the language well. Um, Let me at least give me one thing that I'm a little bit more secure about. And that is that I'm a pretty okay marketeer. And then the other things come on top. And if life uh, treats me that way, one day I'll be a GM, a general manager, maybe in Spain, somewhere else. But give a little bit of yourself a bit of a rest that there's one element that you feel whenever you take a jump that you feel a bit more certain about.
1: Uh, Connie, I love the thought of a career being a collection of experiences. That's very liberating. Um And sort of takes a bit of the pressure off the whole thing. We're getting some great questions in, great question from Sadia, uh, which we'll get to, and also from Selena about values. We'll we'll, we'll get to those uh, very shortly. Um, But before we do, I wanted to ask a question about you as a people manager. So I've heard Alan Joke talk about uh, people being the number one stakeholder when we think about uh, planet, shareholders, uh, investors, customers, that people is the number one and it all flows from there now you've mentioned a couple of times about enjoying it and being happy and listening my sense is that you enjoy leading people but I just want to know what's it like working for Connie Brahms and maybe the follow-up question is you know what would you like to work for yourself It's it's an odd question but you know it sort of teases out what is it about you that makes you a great people manager
2: um well maybe there's people on the call who work for me now so they're probably better placed but by now I've had 30 years of multi-source feedback, so uh, I sort of know what, um, what, what people like. Um, actually, I think, um, how is it like to work for me? I think on the one hand side, I'm, I'm challenging, but I'm also cooperative, uh, and I'm quite task-oriented. So um, um, what does it mean? Maybe it's my Dutch origin, but I am um, quite what you see is what you get. So uh, there isn't uh, another real important agenda. Otherwise, I would say it. I'm quite transparent. Uh, integrity is, for me, really important. So that's the one that I score high on. I'm transparent, but not if it relates to people or things that uh, should not be shared. Um, but transparent on where I think we need to be going. And I'm very willing to change my mind. Um, so um, if... Uh, and I've learned along the way, especially in Asia, where people... Um, tend to speak up a little bit less than in the Netherlands. I needed to get used to that. Getting back after my first town hall in the Netherlands again, everybody would say, well, some would say, oh, this was really crap or this was really brilliant. I said, did I ever ask for feedback? What has happened? But in the Netherlands, you get feedback on the spot. Doesn't really matter, especially negative. But uh, but it's always from a positive spirit because they care. In Asia, you need to do uh, your best to get that because there is uh, other dimensions at play. Uh, but I try to um, um, to always bring my best, to portray, um, um, to portray agility. Um, I think that's also really important, what is needed at this moment in time. But I very much, yeah, I know that it's a buzzword nowadays, but uh, in Unilever, we started this purpose journey, I think, 10 years ago. And my personal purpose is uh, energize to explore and jointly create a better future for all. And energize, I think think that in the role you've got, you've got to energize your team um, to explore, go and try, see what you learn. Uh, I won't beat you up if it's a failure. I'm I'm here to back you up if it's a failure. Uh, But we really need to do this together. But at the same time, try and see what you can do to make the world slightly better, if only for your own team. Uh, Because you, um, so I think I'm, caring, yet challenging. Uh, and I'm a, quite an optimist, uh, try to bring some energy in. Um, and I try to really develop people. So uh, I take a long time to do these, to prepare for these important moments uh, in the year, your half year and your end of year, which isn't just about did I reach my KPIs and where am I on the reaching my targets, but it's also about what I've seen, how people could improve or could develop further, what are the areas that I would reckon them to pay attention to uh, additionally. So that's probably who I am.
0: Amazing, Connie. You know, the one thing that I've, I've kind of just sort of listening to you and sort of maybe reading between the, the lines a little bit, your, your ability to cut through cultural emp- or have a, have a high degree of cultural empathy is something that's really kind of shining through to me. Um, and I think that, that's really special. And, you know, you talk, I mean, I'm I'm half Indian, lived in that side of the world for a long time. Um, and I just I really resonated with some of those kind of key cultural elements that you raised from that perspective versus some of the, the elements that you say, you know, happens in the Netherlands. I'm sure it happened in the UK, too. Um, so it's just really great to hear a leader kind of, you know, front of mind, um, being a culturally aware and understanding how different people even react um, at different parts of the world to to you um, as, as a leader, which is great. Um, so, so, Connie, I just want to turn a little bit to a slightly technical question. I'm going to do a cardinal sin when hosting and try and kind of club in two questions at one time, but they're quite related. Um, so, the first thing um, is is from uh, Ruben Rafael, by the way. So, he is a, a great individual working at Unilever and the Domestos team. Um, so, he basically um, asks, just as as more questions came through. So I I lost that, but there we go. So he asks, uh, do you think there'll be a shift in prioritization from traditional TV advertising to more digital and social media advertising? And if so, when do you think that will happen? So hold the thought for one second. Um, And uh, Debbie Ingalls um, asks, what's the scope of digital transformation for marketing at Unilever? Um, Is is this in the comm space? And if so, do the principles of marketing still apply? So hopefully slightly clubbed together as as sort of two two questions.
2: Yeah, so we move a bit into the business space. Here we go. Um, uh, So my role is um, chief digital and marketing. And that uh, is often uh, uh, said as, oh, digital marketing. But actually, it is digital. And Alan specifically asked me on behalf of Unilever to take a look at the end-to-end digitalization. um, And then I do marketing uh, as a function. And um, answering your first question, when is the, the move happening? That, that all depends on the part of the world that you're living in and the digital ecosystem. It's happening everywhere. But if I take a look for Unilever specifically, if you take a look at media, in China, we have brands that are 100% digital. And in general, 80% of our expenditure is in the digital media space. Um, on, um, if I take a look at, um, at India, it is only 20%. Uh, But in general, we sort of spent 40% of our media is now in the digital space. So it's happening everywhere. Now, digital in itself doesn't say so much because you can also have broadcasting in digital, basically not doing narrow casting or position marketing. What I've really seen happening latest is, of course, the real step up also for our companies in performance marketing. So the lower end of the funnel due to the fact that e-commerce has exploded in times of COVID. And now new generations or older generations have also become accustomed to uh, online shopping. So I truly believe that everything will become shoppable um, and that... uh, Well, sometimes you say the funnel has exploded, but I don't think the funnel has exploded. The linear consumer experience isn't there anymore. So any moment in time when you're browsing or just discovering, you could go and buy something. And then that needs to be made easy. Um, So the other part of the question was more about um, um, the (laughs) scope.
0: Um, so, so scope of digital transformation and marketing and does traditional principles of marketing still apply?
2: Yeah, so I think the traditional principles will always apply. Um, so in the end, this is all about uh, no, how many P's you want to discover. But uh, this, that's still very much true. The way that we build brands might be changing quite a bit. And what we see, obviously, is digitally native businesses getting into, uh, into our fields Uh, you see that brands are being built via digital platforms, uh, which is quite different. Uh, So the the competitor landscape is changing, the media that we have available are changing, the channels that we have available are changing, but it makes it fun, isn't it? Um, And then if you really think about the scope of digital, I think um, uh, there's so much more going to happen in the consumer and customer space. So overall, in the end we will, will not be talking but i i don't know if you've covered this we won't be talking about digital so much in five years time everything will become digital every line of the pnl will be influenced by digital every function will be uh will be uh transformed and that's why uh, coming back to a, a question that you asked before we are now talking about our Unilever future leader program so our trainee program that in every traineeship you need to have half a year of digital experience doesn't matter which function you're in now is this a challenge for some company yes it is because digital likes end-to-end digital likes also scale uh, and we do happen to work with different markets in different circumstances but especially is end-to-end thinking in, in companies where you are more vertically organized, it's a bit of a challenge, uh, but it's not, well, that makes it fun as well. We really need to overcome it. And where you also see that marketing and sales are blurring quite a bit. If you think about e-commerce, if you think about the platforms, these are selling channels, but there are also media channels, uh, performance marketing, who does it? Uh, so these are discussions where you really see that the future of marketing is being shaped by the ecosystem that you're a part of. So um, at the same time, I always come back to brands. What do what do brands do? Brands actually have a dual nature of value, I I believe. So on the one hand side, it is value, it's superior products at an affordable price, especially now that we enter recession, but it's more and more values because people want to see a brand that stands for something, have a point of view, but also act upon that. So I really believe that this is um evolving over time uh, but it is still the same principle as whenever we were listening to um our professors in the past so um a lot of it is still the same
1: uh, great perspective connie and um the, the point about everything will be digital and nobody will have digital in their name and there'll be no digital teams i think we're starting to see that more and more. And in fact we've, we've gone that way with, with direct line uh, now i just want to do one small shout out i see Lindsay homers on the uh on the call, And I just want to say congratulations, Lindsay, for your new job. Lindsay works at Cadbury's and uh, has become, if I get this right, a brand manager for Cadbury's Cream Egg and Mini Eggs. I can't, I mean, it's rivaling you, frankly, Connie, in terms of one of the better jobs that's out there. But Congratulations, <laughs> Lindsay. Um, now, uh, the purpose of the School of Marketing is to help people find their way into marketing uh, and thrive um, and make marketing a destination career. So I'm going to go to Sadia's question. So Sadia is nine years into Unilever having worked in finance in four countries, and now wants to make the switch to marketing. Sadia, you've seen the light, congratulations, and I wish you every success, but actually you can get some first-hand advice. So the question is, any tips on how to move to marketing from another function? And I suppose more broadly as well, Connie, that allows you to talk to why you think marketing is a good place to work in in any event.
2: Um, Yeah. So uh, indeed, um, congratulations in thinking about this as well. I love my finance business partners the same, but, um, uh, and I think it's really fascinating But I think marketing is a special place. Uh, in marketing, you have the ability to, uh, to really influence um, via creativity, um, uh, what's happening in the world around us. Uh, and uh, I think we have an ability to take consumers on our journey and the journey needs to be a worthwhile one. Uh, so that's the one that you really need to think about. And um, I honestly believe that um, if there is um, a something worthwhile uh, pursuing, it is um, actually how can brands play a role in making this the the planet and society a better one. And and as a marketeer, you're capable of doing so. So. Um, now, coming back to the question, uh, how do you move from finance to marketing, or from any function to marketing? What I think is important is something that I said already in the beginning. Whatever move you're making, make sure that there's something that uh, gives you confidence, but is also the reason why people would want you in that role. So, if you have been the finance business partner of Ben and Jerry's, making it up, I don't know. Um, but then make sure that you find a marketing place in Ben & Jerry's. We don't go for a marketing place in Sunsilk or in Dove because that might just be too much of a change. So I firmly believe that make sure that there is one element that is going to sort of stay the same because you already know it. That's good for business because it gives us sort of a confidence. Uh, but it's also good for you because otherwise everything will be th- thrown in the air. And I also believe that... Um, um, it is less about the skill sets that you bring. It is, uh, yes, there's things to learn and be, be ready for it. Your first year will be chaos because there's so many new things coming at you, but enjoy it as well, because that's the reason why you wanted it. On the other hand, competences, uh, your personality, your inner game is going to bring you where you want to be. So the outer game can be learned, but the inner game of purpose, service, agility, personal mastery, the characteristics you, you have, are especially if you have an interest already will be the defining ones so uh, wishing you all luck in doing this uh, and um, let me know if I can help
0: Uh, you know uh, it's interesting Connie really an old mentor of mine uh, Tim Millermark, um, always sort of told me exactly the same around changing of the variables and making sure that there are some commonality when making those big big career shifts so I totally resonate um, with with what you're saying then and it's it's great advice that's helped me in, in good stead as I've made those pivotal career changes too. Um, Interestingly, we've had another question related from Jen Smith, um, who's asking similarly around um, currently working B2B um, and then trying to get into B2C. Um, I'm assuming a lot of those sort of principles that you've laid out will will hold true. So rather than kind of going back on them, um, she asks um, around how long do you think someone should sort of perhaps be in a silo run or be in one particular area like B2B before she's trying to move into B2C? Is there a timeline after which you may get pigeonholed, for example? Um, or is it worthwhile moving sooner rather than later? Well, uh, let's, let's shy away from the
2: perfect recipe, isn't it? There is no perfect recipe for this. So uh, I would say what I've experienced, the more senior you get in a role, the more important it is to stay a little bit longer. Uh, because what you see is that you're needing to change whole organizations and um, so I think if you think about a career line you start first of managing yourself then you probably have one or two people working with you in the team then your team gets bigger and then you start uh, um, managing an organization and the higher you get up the more you also manage the context around it and I've specifically seen that when I was a GM uh, for Europe and being based in the Netherlands all of a sudden I had a lot of contacts with ministers and creating the environment for the business to flourish in. Um, So what I would say, the only thing to bear in mind is, have I had a chance to make an impact? What is the legacy I'm leaving in this role? What have I really learned? Or should I stay a bit longer? And I have also moved from B2C to B2B uh, because I've done five and a half years food solutions in uh, Unilever when I was in Singapore, working with chefs. And I loved it. I got a bit fed up with consumers and consumer behavior, et cetera. I thought, oh, this is really interesting. This is chefs and chefs. For chefs, actually, the products that we serve them are even more important. So uh, because a chef's whole whole being is about the the recipes he creates and what he puts on the plate. And every day you're judged because you won't go back to a restaurant if you didn't like that specific meal. So it's even more important. And I I always find, and especially with that, I had a chance to really take a look at so many different channels and to see how you serve a different audience. So don't declare uh, something the holy grail, because that's the thing I also got asked a lot of time when I was in Food Solutions. Oh, Connie, we really want to go to Unilever Retail. Said, Yeah, but that is nice. And I've also truly enjoyed it. But this is a very special learning occasion as well. So make sure you use it to the ultimate. See what impact you can score. Take your lessons with you because the chances that you need to work in with more channels once you once you go back to what we call retail, we used to call in food solutions, is that you need to work with lots of different audiences. Well, look at how we segment now. That you need to work with many channels. That your media is not going to be broadcast and you make one TV film and you put it on air. So, um, so overall, no magic recipe stay as long as you as you enjoy it and making an impact and learning and make sure you never become complacent I think that's uh, the moment that you really know that you need to move on
1: yeah we all we are all a product of our past and we're past and we all have our journey to take but my experience of b2b b2c is that they're very similar skills not least curiosity drive creating momentum you know all similar things um now I wanted to ask you we got so many questions that we're going to fail to ask all of them which is which is a brilliant brilliant problem to have Um, but I'm going to ask you about Dollar Shave Club and very specifically what have you learned from that brand and that story and what's Unilever learned Uh, and um and, and have you had to sort of leave it alone or have you had to get involved So there's a couple of questions but but maybe the biggest one is you know what have you learned from Dollar Shave Club as an absolute phenomenon that Unilever acquired a little while ago
2: um, well, it, it is indeed already quite some time ago. I think it probably was 2017, uh, if I remember well. So it is indeed already four years. Uh, and it's a delicate balance that we always strike, whether it's Dollar Shave Club or any liquid IV or Ollie or Smarty Pants that we just acquired. Uh, because you don't, you wanna, uh, um, it's a precious jewel that they've built. Um, so the moment that Unilever comes in, you might also have a chance of ruining that. But actually, we bought the Dollar Shave Club for a couple of reasons. First of all, they were digitally first, uh, which was a sort of a business system that we were not so acquainted with. The second one is subscription, a subscription, uh, which some people say is the future. So, how does it really work? Um, the the and the the third thing is um, is well, actually, it is in a in a part of the world in the US um, that. Um, is in many ways sort of uh, portraying, not in all ways, I certainly wouldn't say so, but in the digital scape, other than China, is probably an example um, a country to take a look at how Amazon is really changing everything in uh, in the US. So all in all, we, these were the things that we wanted to learn. Now, there is lots of things that we have learned, um, but there's also things that uh, why the Dollar Shave Good, for instance, has had decided to work with us because they felt like they needed Um, Unilever to continue to grow and uh, recently you will have seen that actually we're taking the Dollar Shave Club into retail so the other way around so um, these are things that the Dollar Shave Club is taking advantage of the fact that we've got a good networked organization and professional relationship with all the big retailers whilst at the same time we have really heard uh, and learned from them how do you build subscription models how do you make sure that uh, there is a continuous purchase and what is nice is I think uh, in marketing, we've all been shaped by Byron Sharp saying, well, in the end, in FMCG, you only have light users. So it's all about penetration. Well, actually, the Dollar Shave Club is more about loyalty, obviously, and still the way to grow for them is to uh, to increase penetration. So that's where it uh, uh, resembles uh, the same sort of thing. So um, I would say um, not with some acquisitions we do to take it slightly broader Some acquisitions we completely integrate, the vegetarian butcher, uh, which is the the recent one that I was very much involved in in the Netherlands, obviously. So with Jaap, Jaap, uh, the owner of it said, you know what, I want to still be involved, but not operationally run it. And I think it's a lot better off if you integrate. Now still in the Netherlands, it's in a separate place, it's not in the same building, but it is way more Unilever people flowing in and out. And actually, Um, we are sticking to the belief of the vegetarian butcher, the reason why he sold it, he wanted to become the biggest vegetarian butcher in the world. And he knew that he was never going to do it on his own. And he loved Unilever, because he felt that his mission and his purpose was going to be um, uh, taken on and accelerated, basically. Now, what you then need to do is, uh, because this is vegetarian दूध is using the same channels as we use so it's being sold in the same supermarkets and online etc so then you can integrate it already from the start way more but it's a delicate balance uh, to to strike all the time but i'm really happy with a couple of these acquisitions because it really makes it possible to change unilever because it changes your mental models and that's really
0: needed love it um Connie, that that was that was super answer, awesome. and actually um, Dollar Shave Club as a brand is one that I've I've truly admired over the years for for, for many of the reasons as as you mentioned. there. So lots of key learnings. Um, we're literally clocking out of time, so apologies everyone if we didn't get to answer ask your question. Um, just just too many have come come through this morning, but uh, um, yeah. So Connie, look at it, it. Just you know, for us, one minute to go. Mark, do you wanna do you wanna go for some of your key messages, and then I'll I'll take over to close.
1: Yeah. No. I, I... You're right, Richie. We've got so many unanswered questions, unasked questions. So thank you, everybody. And apologies if we haven't got through everything. But, but Connie, I've, I've really enjoyed this morning. I mean, we always do. It's a great f- privilege for Richie and I to have amazing people like yourself on. Uh, r- really enjoyed it. I mean, you, you've talked a lot about enjoyment, actually, and being happy in what you do which we it's, it's so easy to forget that. You have to almost remind yourself to enjoy things. Otherwise, you can miss, miss the moment. Uh, you talked about your careers being a, a collection of experiences, which is a lovely thought that will stay with me. Um, energised to explore. I mean, your energy comes comes through in spades. But you also said about, you know, marketing is about influencing the world, doing something worthwhile, which I think is so typical of the Unilever mentality and, a, and, and all credit for that. But of course, most of all, I'm going to remember that you're still as energised and excited and enthused after 30 years in one company. And it just goes to show that, you know, it's it's all about what you make of your circumstances and situation and um, getting the most out of it and being positive and moving forward. Um, lots of other cultural insights as well. It's been fantastic having you on, Connie. I'm really grateful for your time. And on behalf of everybody, a thank you, big thank you from me. And I'll pass to Richie for a, for a close.
0: Thank you. Um, Connie, thank you again. It's, it's been truly inspiring um, as a session. The one I think the one sentence of phrase for me that has epitomized I think what you're about um, is when you said there are 20,000 ways to have a great life. Now, coming from the, the chief um, digital and marketing officer at Unilever, front of, front of your mind is for people to actually have a great life. Um, and actually, there's no certain way to get there. You talk about no perfect ingredients, no holy grails around it, and everyone is different. For me, that's just amazing. I mean, the, the, the thought that it's not business hat on first, it's actually the person. It's actually the journey. And it's the journey that then delivers um, to the business. And that's, just for me, that, that's something that's really going to stay with me for a long, long, long time, Connie. So thank you for, for your time this morning. It's been really inspiring. Um,
2: thank you. Thanks, Richie. And thanks, Mark, for making my life easy, this 45 minutes, and enjoyable as well. So uh, I've learned a bit as well. So uh, thanks so much. And also for the participants for uh, asking all the interesting questions. So I'm um, happy that I could contribute.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you, and and just um, finally for everyone on the show, you know we are here every Friday at eight am, and we are back next week. So next week, um, we have Charlie Dawson, who's the foundation, uh, who's the the founder. A bit of a mouthful, founder of the foundation. Um, they are a, an amazing customer success consultancy. They work with some fantastic brands all the way from HSBC to Morrison's um, and Sky. Um, Charlie is a phenomenal individual, scaled up from scratch, um, had lots of interesting bumps along the road, which I'm sure he's going to share. He is a, a genuine, strategic, massive brain. Um, every time I, wo- I, I talk to someone at the foundation, I just learn a huge amount. And I'm sure next week is going to be be no no different so do join us next week um where we get to speak to charlie
1: dawson all right over and out good weekend so thank you again connie